Well, good morning, everyone. I am sitting with a dear friend of mine, Pastor John M. Stutz from Antioch Church, just down the road in Simi Valley. Uh, John is a church planner. He planted a church in Ventura. He pastored up in, uh, remind me, in Oregon. Newburgh, Oregon. Newburgh, Oregon. Anybody know where that is? Anybody from Newburgh <laughs> out there? And now he's pastoring Antioch Church in Simi Valley, one of the finest four-square pastors we have, and a dear friend for many years. So, uh, John, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and what a joy to be here. And uh, I mentioned this to you before, but uh, your gift of, of the spirit of Barnabas has impacted my life. Mm. In every major stage of ministry in my life, you've been present, and you've encouraged me, and you've given me the confidence that I didn't have in myself through your encouragement. So literally, I feel like there's a part of me that's here today because of you and your influence and the impact of this church on my life. So wow. thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, you're going to choke me up here in the morning. <laughs> but, you know. So we're fans of each other. Isn't that mm -hmm. great? It's been an honor to uh, cheer you on and champion you where I could. You know, people have asked me, and I've been kind of reluctant to share my story about 2020. Uh, but every church was impacted. Mm. Some churches followed uh, the health and safety guidelines. Yeah. I know you guys took that yeah. seriously. Yeah. Other churches were open and undistanced yeah. and unmasked. And yeah. they said, we, we've got to meet together. And so we don't criticize anybody mm. for what they've done. But what's it been like for you as a pastor mm. and a leader uh, through yeah. 2020? Yeah, I'll try to summarize briefly. Yeah, briefly, because yeah. we want to hear the sermon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I was mentioned to you earlier, you know, last January, a year ago, January, our team was together planning Easter. And so we came up with our theme for last Easter in 2020, had no, having no concept of the pandemic. And that was, uh, the theme was everything changes. Well, little did we know, wow. everything would change. Yeah. And uh, this year has been obviously a challenge, challenge for our church, challenge as, as a leader. Uh, but I know one of the things that, that our leadership, uh, we had two convictions through this season. The first one was to make sure we obeyed Jesus. And that meant that we're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to do what the scriptures call us to do, which is to submit ourselves to authority. Um, and so we did that in going by guidelines. And even though, especially in our area, I don't know about your area, but it was extremely unpopular uh, among some of our own people and even the churches in our area. Sure. And the second and really very most, most important thing is that we wanted to care best for people in our church and our community. So we knew if we could do what our part in helping keep people safe, not only at our gatherings, but also to not continue to spread the virus in our community, that we were doing what we could do what was best, which, mm -hmm. which was interesting because although some people had a challenge with that, other people were very grateful. In fact, many in our community thanked us for, for doing that. And so it's been, a, it's been an interesting year of kind of navigating each wave and, uh, and, and living in uncertainty is never easy. One of the things the Lord reminded me earlier on this, he said, you're not going to know the next step, but you're going to have to follow me through the fog. And that's it. That's you know? too good. You got to repeat it. Yeah. You're not going to know. Yeah. You're not going to know the next step. So you got to follow me through the fog. It's like going through the Thule fog in the central Valley, you know, yeah. and you see the headlights of the person in front of you, that's all you can see. As long as you can see their headlights, you're good. Yeah. The, moments, the, the moment those headlights or those taillights, excuse me, disappear, you're in trouble. in trouble. And so I'm just staying on Jesus 6, keeping the taillights in view and say, okay, wherever you lead us, that's where we're going. So that's how we've kind of navigated this year. Yeah. So. Well, I want to just say, uh, before you talk to us about what the church is, mm. uh, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness, you mm -hmm. and Kim. Uh, and now your adult kids following Jesus, serving mm. the Lord with mm. you. Uh, you 
are a model of faithfulness. And I know like a lot of pastors, you've taken your hits mm. and people have disagreed with some of your pathway or your mm-hmm. leadership, but you've yeah. stayed faithful and you've stayed sweet through it all. Mm. And uh, so I just want you, you to know, LFC, that uh, I, I felt it right for John to be with us today. He's going to talk about what the church is. So take notes, lean in and listen. And uh, we are the church. Exactly. And we all have a responsibility. I don't want to yeah. give away your, your notes. I read them. <laughs> you can you preach know. it better than I could, Bernie. No, so. <laughs> no, you're, you're great. But uh, so from your, your hearts, wherever you are uh, watching this, whenever you're watching this, welcome John M. Stutz and allow him to teach to us today. So, John, you take yeah, it away. I'll get yeah, out of the way. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you, Bernie. Yeah, thank you. Very good. Thanks, John. Yeah, as I, as I said before, what an honor and privilege today to be here, uh, to be able to share uh, something that's really important that I know I've, I've talked to our church about, especially in this pandemic and what we've experienced. Uh, that's an important question for us to consider. What is the church really? And even when I say the phrase, what is the church, immediately we have these default kind of ideas in mind. The church is a building. It's a location. I can give an address of the church uh, where, where it's located. Or it's defined by a weekend gathering, so it's a Sunday service. So we have that kind of mentality in our mind. Or maybe it's, the, it's a certain ministry that's a part of the church. Or it's a leadership team or the pastor. And those are things that we kind of define. But, but when we really think about it, Pastor Bernie just said it, we are the church. And the simplest kind of working definition that I have for the church that I always keep in mind, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning, is the church is the people of God displaying the beauty of God, fulfilling the purpose of God. So it's people displaying God's beauty, fulfilling his purpose. So in answering that question this morning, what what is the church? Let me just give you three answers that we can kind of break down that help us to kind of get our bearings on understanding what is this thing called church and how do I understand how I'm a part of it and how I engage with it. So when I ask the question, what is the church? The first response to this is the church is people of diversity. So what that means is we understand that the church is made up of different people, different kinds of people. And because of that, we have to keep this in mind that God created the church to be a group of people that doesn't look the same, that doesn't necessarily speak the same language, that doesn't think the same. There is, there is this difference. And there's two things specifically that we have to remember about this concept of the church being a group of people that's diverse. And that is first this that we are different ethnicities, but we are part of the same family. And boy, do we need that in our culture today, to understand what does it mean to be different and yet be the same. And so to understand that, it's kind of, if you picture it this way, the, the church is like a kaleidoscope. It is, you've ever seen a kaleidoscope, and you look through the lens of a kaleidoscope, and you turn it, and you see the different colors blending together and complementing each other. That's a picture of, of what the church is. And so we have to understand that. And so we are all a part of God's family. That's what it says in, in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, But to all who received him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you're a part of the church, you're part of God's family, you're, you're, you're a, a part of this extended family that, that is different. And how do we know it's different? Well, at the, at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, uh, the Apostle John, who's given this vision, he gets a picture of the, the throne room of heaven. It's, it's kind of like the finish line of all of, of human history. And he gets this picture. Let me just read. This is Revelation 7, 9. Look at what he sees. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. He's seeing this picture, this kaleidoscope of heaven, which is all these different ethnicities, these different people groups and languages all coming together to do one thing, to worship Jesus. So we have to remember that we are this, this, this church, this, this group of people that is different yet the same because we are part of the same family, but we bring the uniqueness of how God created us in our own ethnicities and our differences. But there's even some better news, I think, than that. And that is, if we are understanding that there were a group of people who are diverse, not only are we diverse, diverse in our ethnicity or our languages or skin color, but we're also diverse in this. We have different sins, but we have the same Savior. So this is the picture of a mosaic. And a mosaic is usually made up of broken pieces of clay or, or shards of glass that are positioned together to create this beautiful picture, this beautiful tapestry, this beautiful mosaic that is made up of things that are broken. That's the church. We all come with our different things, our sins, our brokenness, our failures, and we all bring that to the table and all come to the same Savior who is Jesus, who brings restoration and forgiveness and wholeness, and he puts us all together in these different pieces that somehow he makes fit together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, in the first couple of verses just before that, Paul gives a list of all these different kinds of categories of sins that humanity participates in. And he makes this list, and then he gets to verse 11, and he says this about us, the church. He says, in the past, some of you were like that, the list of sins he just had, has mentioned. He says, but you were washed clean. You were made holy. You were made right with, uh, with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The beauty of the church is that we may come with different sets of baggage and struggles and failures and sins, but we come to a Savior who takes all of that sin and tells us this. The ground at the foot of the cross is totally level. Because although we come with different backgrounds, we come to the same place of needing Jesus' forgiveness that he purchased for us through his death and his resurrection that makes us reconnected back to God. And the beauty of the church is when we come in with all of the stuff of our lives and we bring it before Jesus and we share it with each other, this is the good news of the church. The church is never the place where you're known for the moment of your greatest failure. In our culture, we remember people and history records people and really usually brings to the surface the moment of their greatest failure and they can never get beyond it. The beauty of the church is although we have different sins and brokenness, we come to Jesus and now we're known by what? We were washed. We're clean. So if you're a baseball fan, this will take you back a few years. If you might remember a name of a guy that actually was a little bit before my time, I caught him at the tail end of his career. A guy by the name of Bill Buckner. Now, if you're a real baseball fan, you know the moment I mentioned the name Bill Buckner, you can think of a specific event that happened towards the end of his career when he was playing for the Boston Red Sox. So before the, the rest, uh, Red Sox actually did win the World Series a few times, uh, they had gone with this long, long drought. They had not won the World Series in decade after decade after decade. And so they were actually uh, in, in the lead. They were actually up three games to two in game six against the New York Mets in 1986 and literally just had to record an out. They would have won the World Series. It would have been a great celebration. But then this one event that Bill Buckner will, will always be remembered by happened. Mookie Wilson's up to bat. He hits a slow ground ball to first base where Bill Buckner's playing. And Bill Buckner makes a little league mistake. When he bends down to, to field the ground ball, he doesn't get his mitt down to the ground, and the ball goes right underneath his glove into, the, into right field. Ray Knight scores from first base, the Mets win the game six, 
And then they come back the next, ga- next day and they win game seven, taking the World Series away from the Red Sox. Throughout history now, from now moving forward in our culture, when people hear the name Bill Buckner in, in the realm of baseball, they'll think 1986 World Series, ground ball through his legs, cost the Red Sox the World Series. Aren't you glad that the church is not that way? Because there's forgiveness for the moments of failure, and so we're no longer known by our sin. That's why Paul said, you used to be that way. That used to describe you, but now what? You're washed, you're clean, you're part of the family. You've been brought together. Well, the answer, the second response or second answer to the question, what is the church, is the church is people of unity. And that's when we have the capacity to, to come together and to actually find a way that although we are human and we fail, that we find a way to actually get along. We find a way, and this is really the display of the beauty of God in the family of God and the church. We live in a world right now where people don't know how to get along. People don't know how to live in unity. We only know division and separation and anger and and broken relationships. But the church is different. The church is this place where we have the capacity, because of what Jesus has done, to actually be a people that are unified and are together. So there's two things that we make a commitment to as a part of the family of God, as a part of the church. The first one is this, that we love each other. That is the one determining factor. When people look at the church, that they they don't see division. They don't see angst and anger. They see a commitment of love to each other. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, but by this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Man, I talk to our church about this all the time. Man, if we could learn to love each other the way that God loves us, then the world will look at the church and say, ah, they got it. They figured this thing out. It must be if you know Jesus, you find a way to love people that are different than you. This is the the beauty of the church compared to the world is this. In all other major world world religions or philosophies, you don't have what, what, what Jesus calls us to and what the church is supposed to be. The church is a place where Enemies actually become friends. You can't find that anywhere else in our culture. Enemies remain enemies, and revenge is the name of the game. But in the church, you're supposed to what? Love your enemies. See, because God's in the process of taking enemies and making them friends. I can tell you many occurrences in my life where this has happened for me, where I have current friends now that did not start off as my friends. They actually started off as my enemies. One of them actually I met when I was in Bible college, and, and when we were in college together, we were the opposite of each other. We, we didn't get along. He was the rebel. He violated all the rules. He did everything he could to, to break curfew in the dorms and all kind of stuff. And I was the rule follower, and I did what I was supposed to do. And, and I remember I just looked at him with disdain and just looked down on him with contempt. And, and I remember just like, how could this guy be training for ministry? He, he doesn't even deserve to be at this school. And we... And little did I know at the same time, he's having the same thoughts about me. And here's God's sense of humor, that when we both finished uh, Bible college, we ended up on staff at the same church. I was his boss as we worked together in the youth youth group. And and I remember it was God had set this up because he knew, God knew that we were going to find a way from being enemies to becoming friends. And over about the next six months, when we first engaged in ministry together, we started to get to know each other. We were forced together. We had to work together. But as the, the, the wall started to come down and we started to realize, even though the outward appearance looked very different, 
inwardly we had a heart that was similar for people and for what God wanted to do in the lives of people. And that became a bond that we have. And to this day, he is one of my good friends. Now, he lives up in Oregon now, but he was one of my good friends. And yet we started off as enemies. And yet because of what Jesus did in us, we are the best of friends today. That's what the, the church is supposed to be. And we also, not only that we, we love each other, but to be a people of unity means that we understand that we are supposed to live in right relationships with each other. So we make a commitment to love each other, but we also know that because we're human, we're going to do things that offend each other. We're going to do things that unintentionally hurt each other or maybe even intentionally hurt each other. But what we understand is that God's desire is that we live in right relationships. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because our relationship with God was fractured and broken. But Jesus' death on the cross, what reunites us, because Jesus takes our sin and he removes it from between us and God and reconnects us. God wants that to happen between people, that we live in right relationships with each other. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And also, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, Paul says, if you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down with, uh, while you're still angry. Get over it quickly, for when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the, to the devil. So what is Paul saying? When there's a fracture in relationships, you are opening a back door for the enemy to come in and to begin to destroy the unity which Jesus has purchased for his church, purchased for his family. God, I've realized in my life that when I, when I walk through seasons of being in, in broken relationships or there's an offense between me and somebody else, I've realized that God desires so deeply that we live in right relationship. That's what the church is supposed to be, that we find a way, that he always orchestrates the details and circumstances of my life for me to have to confront the offense or the fractured relationship. He just does that because he wants me to live in right relationships. And I see it over and over again. In fact, one of those occurred just a couple years ago. A couple of years ago, uh, I was in my master's program, and uh, as a part of that, they would have guest lecturers come in to, uh, for certain, certain kind of sections of the master's program. And so as I saw the announcement of what was coming, I, I looked at the name of the person who was going to be presenting this special session for our master's program, and it just so happened to be my former college pastor that I had not actually seen or spoken to from years and years and years ago. Probably about 25, 26 years had gone by since we had any contact. But the, the last time we had contact, it didn't end well. We were, I was in ministry with him, and, and we had been partnering together, and I had been serving with him as he led our college department at our church. And, and I remember we had some differences of opinions, and I sat down and I told him, I have to separate from this. I have to leave because, because in my mind, I thought he was wrong and I was right. And so I left, and all these years go by, and God is still working and orchestrating things knowing that I would be in a master's program at the same time that he would be the guest lecturer. And so I remember from the moment he opened his mouth, the Lord said, at the next break, you know what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to go up to him and you're going to talk to him and you're going to ask for forgiveness and you're going to reconcile this broken relationship. And sure enough, I did. I went up and he had a few people waiting in line and I felt very awkward, but I went up and I said, hey, I got to just tell you, I know, I know it's been a long, long time since we've talked, but I said, I need to ask for forgiveness for the way that I left things all those years ago. And he looked me in the eye and he said, listen, he goes, I know when we're young, we do a lot of stupid things. And he goes, I was young and you were young and we did things. But he goes, I fully forgive you for anything that happened in the past. 
And what a relief that is to have all of that, that uncomfortableness, that brokenness that had carried for so many years that God orchestrates. And now, and now I know when I think of him, because he's actually an accomplished uh, writer. He's written a number of books and leader. And so actually I'm gleaning. I've read his books now because I don't, I don't open a book and go, oh man, I have this angst left over. I don't have that anymore. Why? Because God has reconciled that relationship. So the church is this beautiful thing because it's a group of people that have found a way to live in unity with each other by making a commitment to love each other and also to strive to live in right relationships. Which leads to the, the final answer to this question, what is the church? So we know it's a people of diversity, people of unity, but the church is also a people of purpose. And, and this is displayed in the way that we fulfill God's purpose in the world, knowing that God has loved us and so what do we do? We live as an example of the love of Jesus for other people, and we find ways to serve each other in our community. That's the purpose of God in the world. Why? So that people might discover who Jesus is through our lives and through our service. But we are to be a group of people that are on, on mission. We are not just about gathering and just about being. We are about doing in the community and in the world because that is the mission of Jesus. So there's a couple of things that, that we need to always keep in mind the first one is this. We need to always strive to live like Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the representatives of who Jesus is. So when the world looks at us, the world looks at followers of Jesus, the world looks at the church, the world is looking to see who Jesus is. Are we reflecting him? These are the same, the same concept that John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There it is. We are what? The example we have for life is to live like Jesus lived so that whatever encounter we have with people, that they are capturing a glimpse of the love of God through Jesus that points them to him. Not necessarily to us. We're just reflecting who Jesus is. So that means that we think about how do we live in the community where God has placed us? How do we live in the city? How do we live in the neighborhood where God has placed us? Do we do what Jesus told us to do, which is what? To love our neighbors. Why? As we love our neighbors, we are reflecting who Jesus is and the hope and desire is that our neighbors would come to know Jesus through our example. So in every neighborhood that my wife and I and our family have lived in, we've always made a commitment to find ways to love our neighbors, knowing that, that God has placed them in that neighborhood and God has placed us in that neighborhood for one reason, and that is because he wants them to know him, and we're there for that purpose. So a few years ago, a young family moved in across the street from us, and as we do with any kind of new family that, we, we, that comes in, we try to reach out to them, and we really try to ask ourselves this question, what needs do we see that they have that we might be able to meet? What can we do to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them by meeting their needs? So as we, we got to, to know them a little bit, we discovered that they had, when they moved, first moved in, they had two cars, but then like a couple months in, they only had one car. 
So in, in talking to, to them, I, I found out that the car that they had before was a lease vehicle, and because money was tight, when the lease was up, they brought, took it back to the dealership, and so they were down to one car. So they had a minivan, so he was an attorney, mom was with home with the kids, and so they had the van, and so they had to juggle the van. Some days he would take it to work, and then she would be left with the kids and couldn't go anywhere. And so we were watching this, and I, and I remember, I, and I thought to myself, the, the Lord was pushing in on me, so listen, you're asking what you have that you might be able to give them that they could use. And, and he said, you have a car that isn't driven all the time. There are days when, when my wife and I are doing things together where my car might sit in the garage. And Jesus says, you got a car, why don't you offer it to him? So I did. I walked across the street and said, hey, there are times I'm at a conference or there are times I'm doing this or whatever, and my car is just sitting in the garage. Would it be a benefit to you to use my car so that you guys could have two cars? And they said, oh, that would be the best. If you could do that, that would be a game changer for us. And so for a number of months, I just certain days he would text me and say, hey, can I use the car tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, I walk over, give him the keys. He would use my car. And that just gave such freedom to their family. And it was neat to see how, how that kind of unfolded. In fact, I will tell you today, he, he actually is made partner as an attorney and actually got his own car with a car allowance. And he let me drive it the other day. But I'll tell you this, that started a journey with them that led to eventually she found her way back to Jesus, and he's getting really close. He and I have lots of conversations about who Jesus is in his life, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God will help him to see the love of Jesus through my life that might help him to come to know Jesus. So when you think of yourself, you, the church is not just a place that we gather. A church is not just, not just not a group of people that are together. The church is what's scattered into the city where we live and serves and loves people around. Why? Because there's a hope that they might come to know Jesus. And then the final thing is this, when we think of being people of purpose, is we're wanting to help people to find Jesus, but people of purpose also not only live like Jesus, they live for Jesus. Which means that what I do, I do for what? Not for my glory, not for what, what I want, but we do what for what Jesus wants. It's similar to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not me living anymore. What? I, I died to an old way of living. I'm now living what? For Jesus. Paul goes on and says this about the things that Jesus calls us to do now that we're become new in him. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, he says, It is God himself who made us what we are and has given us lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others, which means that our life is no longer about our selfish desires, but it's how do we serve God's purpose? And particularly, how do we serve God's purpose through the church? If we are a family and we're a group of people that's gathered together, how do we serve that purpose collectively? Well, in any church, and I'm sure that's true for for Lompoc Foursquare Church, it's true for Antioch churches, that we serve the needs of each other by serving through the church. Not only are we out in the community and demonstrating the love of Jesus, but we're within the church and we're serving together. And so because of that, the, the church is this place where everybody contributes. There really is, uh, there's no bench warmers in, in the kingdom of God and in the church. We all serve in whatever capacity that God has given us to serve. And that's the joy. And, and I know that, that sometimes schedules and, and uh, sometimes we question, do we have the gifting or skill to do anything? But at the end of the day, if I'm not living for myself, then I'm living for Jesus. And I'm asking Jesus, what can I contribute? What can I do? Well, let me brag on, on, a, on a guy for just a few moments, a guy from our church. His name is Mark. 
So uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were shifting through all the different kind of scenarios of how we were going to meet, we were doing some recorded things and some live stream. And then when we eventually had an outdoor service, which we've been running for, for quite a while, we needed to put some setup teams together. And so we asked for some volunteers. And Mark stepped up. And not only did he say, hey, I'll be on the setup team, he actually said, I'll lead the setup team. And when he came to this, this proposal, like, Mark, that would be great. And Mark immediately recruited his two teenage kids, which he, they, I don't know how, if they were really upset with that, or if they, but he said, hey, they're going to come with me. And then we got a team of other people. And this is the, the amazing thing about Mark, is that every time we have our outdoor service, Mark shows up early to set up the chairs and canopies and all the things that we do to, to do that. But Mark is a realtor. And if you know real estate, the weekend is the big moments for real estate. And so there are, there are Sundays, literally, where Mark has to do an open house or he has to show a house and, and he's got to do all these things. But Mark will show up early at the church, even though he knows he's not going to be coming back to make the service because he's got to go to work. But he brings his kids, he sets up, he faithfully does it with joy. And it is this amazing thing. And many people in our church don't even know Mark's name. But when they sit in a chair that he set up, or the team that set up the canopies and the check-in stations and all those kind of things, they feel the impact of his life because he's willing to serve. And I share that because I know many times we, we think, well, there's no need for me to serve in areas. It looks like everything is covered. I'll tell you, every church needs more people to serve. And when we realize that our lives are not about ultimately bringing glory to ourselves, we ask the question, what can I bring to the table to serve the church to ultimately bring glory to God and not myself? So this, this is important for us to understand what is the church, because especially as we come through this pandemic and out of this pandemic, we have to get back to remembering what really is the church and as a reminder, it is what? It is the people of God. The church is not a building, not a service, not a ministry. It's people displaying what? The beauty of God in unity where we find, even though we're different, we come together. Ultimately, what? Fulfilling the purpose of God, which is what is his mission of what? Living like Jesus and living for Jesus. And as we get to ready to close and, and, and I'm going to pray in a moment. Let me just encourage you. If you're, if you're tuned in this morning and you're watching online and you're understanding what I'm talking about, this, this guy named Jesus and everything coming under him and he's the head of the church. And the reason that we talk about Jesus so much is because Jesus is the one that makes the church possible. He is the one that is the head of the church. And the reason he's the head of the church is because he is the one that gave his life for all mankind so that we could be a part of God's family because we live in a world where we've chosen to do it our way and we've chosen to kind of push God out of the equation. But God loves the world so much that he wouldn't let us to our own devices, to our own failures. And Jesus chose to come into the world to live a perfect life, to give his life on the cross. Why? Because all the decisions we made of being our own God were only lead to failure. He removes those from us, puts it on himself, so that what are we? We are reconnected. We're reconciled back to God. And then what do we start to get? We get to have the life that God created us to live that we couldn't achieve on our own, but only through what? Living like Jesus and living for Jesus. If you've never made a commitment to understand who Jesus is and be reconnected back to God, you can do that today. 
I'm going to ask you right where you are. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask that you would agree as I pray with you that you would be saying yes to Jesus today. I'm going to choose to not live my way, not do it my way, not for my glory, but for what Jesus wants to do in my life. And then surrender, realizing that when you surrender, you're giving over your sin and your brokenness and your failure and your shame. And you're letting Jesus take that off of you so that you can be who he created you to be. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that is over this thing called the church. And Lord, the church is a bunch of people who've come together to realize we can't live this life the way we think we're supposed to without you. So we bring ourselves and we say thank you for dying on the cross for us, for forgiving our sin, and then for giving us a sense of purpose and a sense of identity as we become a part of your family, which is the church. So, Lord, as we come to know you and follow you, would you help us all to find our place in reconciling relationships, in choosing to love each other, in loving the place that you've placed us in our neighborhoods, in our city, and serving this family that we're a part of called the church in whatever capacity, Lord, that you call us to and where the need is. So ultimately, Lord, everything that we do will be done to point people to you, to glorify you, Lord Jesus, because you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of all things because you are the God over all and you've given your life for us and we are so grateful, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the church in your name. Amen.